the day before terrorists attacked New York City and Washington, D.C. on 9-11, a fifth grader in a Dallas suburb told his teacher that World War III would begin the next day. Rhonda Lukic, the director of elementary education for that school district, said the boy approached his teacher on the afternoon of September 10th and casually told her, tomorrow, World War III will begin. It will begin in the United States, and the United States will lose. The child then missed the next two days of school. The statements were passed along to the FBI, but Lukic didn't know whether the agency had acted on that tip. Uh, An FBI spokesman at the time could not be reached for comment. And Lukic said, it's one of those things I sincerely want to believe was coincidental. I don't know about you, but I'm skeptical about that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it probably was a coincidence. You have to consider the source, a fifth grader. But let's face it, the idea of predicting the future fascinates us. What if I told you that Jesus Christ made an amazingly accurate prediction of a future event one that was substantiated by three different gospel writers and later confirmed by non-believing historians. You'd probably believe me, because the prediction was not made by a fifth grader, but rather it was made by Jesus Christ. In Luke 21, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, we've reached the 21st chapter, and in that chapter, Jesus delivers one of his better-known Sermons. It's often called <clears throat> the Olivet Discourse because it happened on the Mount of Olives. And it's all about the future. This sermon of Jesus has been the subject of more scholarly debate than any other passage in the Gospels. No scholar has perfectly unraveled all the knots, and neither will we. It's way above my pay grade. We have to approach this passage with humility. But I want us to look at the broad strokes of this passage and nail down the things that are clear. And we're going to take two Sundays to look at and process this passage. The title of the message you'll find on your sermon notes page is, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Ready or Not, Here I Come. Here's the setting. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem at the time. It's the final days of his earthly life and ministry. Jesus was teaching in the temple during the daytime, and then he would spend the night on the Mount of Olives. Luke writes that on one of those days, verse 5, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. They weren't kidding. The temple was considered one of the great wonders of the Roman world. It had been under reconstruction for about 46 years at that time, and it was almost done. Almost done. Its location on Mount Moriah made it look like a mountain of gold. Josephus, a Jewish historian, wrote that when the sun shone on the temple, it radiated so fiery a flash that persons training to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes. It was blinding. That temple was breathtaking, kind of like those gleaming twin towers. 
Yet listen to what Jesus says. Verse 6. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That's quite a prediction. His words were tragically true. In 70 AD, the Romans invaded the city and ordered both the city and the temple razed to the ground. Soldiers gutted it by fire, and then they literally pulled the stones apart in an attempt to reclaim the melted gold. When Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, even as its rebuilding was being completed, the disciples, well, they were stunned. They couldn't believe he said that. Later, probably back at the Mount of Olives, they, they questioned him about this. Verse 7, Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? They want to know the times and the signs, the when and the what, that will precede this terrible event. They're just like us. They want to figure it all out. I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Jesus goes on to answer their question, but some of what he says goes beyond the end of the temple. He also talks about the end of the world, when he will return to judge the nations. So one of the challenges of this passage is that some of the things he says about what will happen prior to the fall of Jerusalem also apply to what will happen prior to his return. Uh, We can divide Jesus' sermon into two parts in Luke 21. The first part, verses 8 through 24, which we will look at today, deals with the period of history before the end. The second part, verses 25 through 38, deals with the return of Christ and the end itself, and we'll look at that next week. In verses 8 through 24, Jesus says that difficult times are coming. Difficult times will precede the end. And we know that because we're living in it. He lists a number of what we might call signs of the age, signs of the last days. In verse 8, he talks about false Christs, false messiahs. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Throughout history and in in recent days, many have either claimed to be Christ or have made claims about themselves that would only be true of Christ. And you can think of some of them. Jim Jones and the People's Temple, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, Marshall Applewhite and Heaven's Gate, so many cults, so many false religions that have arisen since the time of Christ. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus speaks of war. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Historian Will Durant once wrote these words. War is one of the constants of history and is not diminished with civilization and democracy. It's kind of sobering, isn't it? War is one of the constants 
and is not diminished with civilization and democracy. And then he gives the statistic. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. We live on a planet that is torn apart by war. War is a constant. Along with false Christs and the ongoing presence of war, Jesus also mentions natural disasters. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Soon after Jesus preached this sermon, there was a terrible earthquake in Laodicea in which many were killed. Famines and plagues often go hand in hand with such natural disasters because many are left without food, without home. They're disenfranchised. They're diseased. We've seen so much of this even with our own eyes. There's been so much in the news, the earthquakes that are shaking our world and the things that follow in their wake. We don't know exactly what Jesus means by signs from heaven. We're always trying to figure this out. We don't know. That's the bottom line. We don't know. He he may have been speaking of things like the vernal equinox, a lunar eclipse, or the Hale-Bopp comet lighting up the night skies. We don't know. Jesus also mentions a time of persecution that will be especially difficult for those who follow him. We don't like to hear that. We we would like the time of persecution to not be especially difficult for those who follow him. But listen to what he says, verse 12. He says, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. Verse 16. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. That, that's strong language. Jesus is pointing out that God's people will not be bubble-wrapped during this trying time, these difficult times that will precede the end. Verse 12 actually describes what would soon begin to happen to his disciples in the book of Acts. These things began to unfold. They were imprisoned and brought before both Jewish and Roman officials. Jesus also says families will turn against each other because of the name of Christ. I heard the story of a man who was sharing his faith with a man from an Islamic country who was captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, he was just, he was right there. And when he asked this man if he wanted to pray and to put his trust in Christ, this is what the man responded. He said, if I do that, when I get back to my country, my family will disown me, I will lose my job, and my children will never be allowed to attend a university. So in many parts of our world today, what Jesus predicted in this sermon is coming true. We are living in those days. Many parts of the church of Jesus Christ are experiencing this in these days. And it's, it's beginning to bleed more and more e- even into our own country. Verses 20 through 24 
uh, Jesus also speaks of Jerusalem being destroyed. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. And let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus, in those verses, describes in detail what would happen in 70 A.D. Roman legions came. They would surround the city. Many would fall by the sword and be taken captive. The holy city would be trampled upon by Gentiles. The fall of Jerusalem happened exactly as Jesus said it would. But at the time, you have to remember this, at the time of Jesus' prediction, he must have sounded as crazy as that fifth grader who said World War III would start the next day on September 11th. This sermon of Jesus does not paint a very pretty picture, does it? But this is what Jesus tells us that we can expect as his followers between his first coming and his second coming, the times in which we now live. One of the mistakes Christians often make is to associate the very end of the world But Jesus clearly says in verse 9 that the end does not follow immediately. The end does not follow immediately. And in verse 24, he speaks of, he has this interesting phrase. He speaks of the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus is talking about that extended period of time that we are living in right now. A time when God's purpose is focused on Gentiles from all nations, people from all nations coming to Christ. So it's an amazing missionary period of time that's going on that we're part of. And Paul spoke of that same time in Romans 11, verse 25, when he said a a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we're still in that period of time and history. Jesus said it wouldn't happen immediately, and it hasn't. It's not all a bed of roses, is it? Terrible things going on in our world. So how do we handle all of this? Living between the first and second comings of our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. What do we do during these difficult times? If we go back through those same verses we've just read, we can see that Jesus tells us not to do several things. And that's important. What he's setting before us is how we who are Christians, we who are followers of Jesus, God's people should respond with wisdom and faith. And and first of all, this means that we should not be misled. Don't be misled. As he speaks about false Christs, Don't be misled, don't don't go after them. 
Many will make claims that are similar to those of Christ, but that means they are lying. It's that simple. So many cults, so many false religions, they're just multiplying like crazy, claiming to be the last word on things, to be the true last spokespeople for God. So we have to step back and say, let's not be spiritually gullible. Are we able to see through the proud claims of those who say they know when the end will take place, that they are the true spokesperson for God, that God speaks only or finally through them and not through Jesus Christ. They're the ones who are saying, and we've heard some of this in our own lifetime. I think it happens in every generation since Christ. I know the meaning of all the events. The time is now. We have to be more discerning than that. We have to know the word of God. We have to know the word of God well enough that when something is off, uh, we instinctively know it as followers of Christ. Jesus also says, don't be terrified. There's so much in the Bible, this phrase, fear not, fear not, fear not. It just echoes through all of Scripture. Because God knows there's so much that can create fear in us. He says, don't be terrified in these, these difficult times that are coming. When we hear of wars, we shouldn't be freaked out. As Jesus indicates, these things must take place first. And that must is a, what you might call a divine must, a divine order. In other words, we must not freak out because God is actually working his plan. It's not the plan that we would have designed, but it's the plan of God. So you see a lot of fear in Christians when we talk about the things that this passage describes. A lot of people prefer to believe that that God's people, followers of Christ, will be raptured out of the world before all of this happens, all of these terrible times. Now, it's okay to believe that if you believe you see it in Scripture, but, but don't believe it out of wishful thinking or feelings of fear. It may seem at many times that things are out of control. kind of feels like that in our country right now, doesn't it? But they're not. And we're called to be wise and filled with faith as we step into that confusion and that division, those things that are so unsettling in our country. God is in control, and he asks his people to join him in his purposes. Everything is happening on God's schedule. God raises up kings, and he casts them down. Jesus also says that we should not try to figure out ways to defend ourselves. I don't really like the sound of that. We shouldn't spend a lot of time and energy figuring out ways to defend ourselves. It is hard to understand why God would allow some of these painful, hard, difficult things to happen to us as part of his plan. But Jesus does say that when we're arrested or when we're persecuted, when we're brought before kings, Something positive actually happens at that point, verses 13 through 15, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind 
not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So this is an opportunity for you to be a witness of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and how he is the strength in your life that's holding you together and holding you up in trying times. God is at work in all of this. Not just the good, but the bad. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry. You know, don't worry that you've got to, you know, prepare something that you're going to say when the persecution comes. No, God will give you irrefutable words of wisdom. You don't have to worry about preparing a bunch of three-by-five cards because you're going to forget stuff. No, no, no. You don't have to worry about, oh, boy, do I, did I bring along a tract with me? You know, Okay, if you do, but don't worry about it. God is with you, and he says, you've got to trust me when the worst things happen, that I'm with you, and I'll give you the words. I'll give you the right words at the right time. Jesus also says that we should not give up even though it will get bad. We should not give up, even though it will get bad. Verses 16 through 19, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. I don't get all that, because how can you be killed but not have a hair on your head perish? I'm not sure how that works. But I do believe that Jesus is saying that not a hair on your head is going to perish apart from God's will, apart from his sovereign control over your life. And Jesus says, even if you do die, you will gain your real life your soul. And that's why he says that by your endurance, stand firm, he says, endure, you will gain your life, your your soul. Nobody can take that from you, no matter the persecution. No one can take that from you. Everything else might be taken, but you will live. You will gain your soul, your life. I don't think we talk enough about the value of endurance in the Christian life. It's easy to quit. It's easy to give up when things get hard because that happens to all of us. Some of you are going through some real trials and some real testings right now. I know. This has been a rough week for our church with the deaths of two of our dear sisters, Jenny Nervaez and Jane Petrella. It's painful. Pray for their families. It's just, it's just painful. What is God doing in all of these trials, these testings, the things that are unfolding in our country? I believe that he is working his plan to produce in his people endurance and hope. We are to be a people of endurance and hope. And you don't learn endurance and hope when everything goes your way. Have you noticed that? You don't need it. Who needs endurance? Who needs hope when everything's going your way? Long-distance runners, they don't gain endurance by sitting on the couch, right? They get it by being tested over time out on the road, real road conditions. Finally, 
Jesus tells the people of his day not to stay in Jerusalem when it starts to fall. Jesus is saying in verses 20 and 21, if you're in Jerusalem in 70 AD, so we have to kind of look back on that, he says, don't stick around. Don't try to find refuge within the walls of that city. That's not your refuge because even it will be destroyed. Flee to the mountains, he says. And this, this fleeing is why it would be so hard for those who are pregnant or nursing in those days. I find this kind of striking because I do think sometimes as Christians, as followers of Christ, we think that it's it's kind of unbelief to flee. That we're always supposed to stand our ground. You know, it's unbelief to flee. But Jesus says in this situation, and I think by implication, there are other situations where Jesus says that's the best thing to do. Why is that? Well, verses 22 and 23 says the people must flee because these are days of vengeance and wrath upon this people, he says. This is hard, but make no mistake, God was judging Israel through those events. They had rejected his son as their long-promised Messiah and Savior, and they were paying a price for that. Now, I take no delight in saying that. I find no joy in saying that. But it is biblical truth, and it is historical fact. So for me, it raises the question, where do people get the idea that God won't judge sin, that God won't judge rebellion, or that his judgment won't be fierce, it won't be all that bad? I'll get through it. Not from the Bible. They don't get it from the Bible, and they don't get it from Jesus. So I think there are at least two big things that we're supposed to, to take away from these, what Jesus is talking about, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And the first is, you can count on Jesus. You can count on Jesus. No matter what happens, you can count on Jesus. What he says is absolutely right and completely true, And it comes to pass without exception. That is so important. You know, we live in a world of half-truth and falsehood and lies and deception. And man, the words of Jesus, I mean, they ring true. as completely trustworthy. You can count on Jesus no matter what. The second thing is, God is serious about sin. God is serious about sin. Jesus warned his audience in that day about judgment, and it came to pass just a few years later. His prediction was fulfilled to the letter. It was a terrible destruction that fell on what was known as the holy city, the city of God. But it became the city that chose its own sinful ways and rejected its own savior to its own destruction. But please hear me well. As painful as the fall of Jerusalem was in 70 AD, it will be nothing compared to the judgment of God that is coming. Jesus is warning us today about judgment. What will we do? Will we repeat the fall of Jerusalem in our own personal fall into destruction by rejecting our Savior? Because Well, frankly, we're just too in love with our own ways. Or 
will we flee from the wrath of God and run into the arms of Jesus? Will we find our salvation in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Have you found, do you know, peace with God through Jesus, the Savior that God has sent for you? The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 5, verse 1. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful verse. It just captures the heart of God, the heart of the gospel. It's saying that it's like you're in a courtroom, and your sin is before you. It's before the judge. And the judge miraculously says to you, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. I declare that you are forgiven. I declare that you are righteous in the righteousness of my son. And so we're not fighting anymore. We're not at war with each other anymore. You know, all that war and rumors of war. Well, here we lay down our weapons. and We humble ourselves before God and we say, I need peace with God. I got to stop playing God. I got to stop fighting against God. I have to have peace with God. And that's what Jesus came for, that we might have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's leave it there for today as we move to the Lord's Supper. We'll look next week at the second half of, of Jesus' sermon where he speaks about signs of his unmistakable coming. And oh, how we need to hear that in our broken, hurting, divided world today. There is hope. There is hope on the way in Jesus. We are a people of hope because he is the God of hope. So stand firm, hang in there, endure. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back one day soon. Amen.